Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Craft Sanity Magazine, a magazine for those who love all things handmade. Head on over to craftsanity.com to find out how to subscribe, order a single copy of the print edition, or purchase instant downloads of all five issues. The winter issue is out and filled with lots of fun projects to keep you busy this season, so be sure to check it out. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 128 of the podcast. It's good to be back here with another interview to share with you. Today my guest is Jean Moss. She is one of Britain's top knit designers and she is the author of 10 books and many, many, many patterns and designs. She's been in the design business for 30 years, so she's been at this for a good long time, and we can learn a lot from her, and I sure did during our conversation. She is joining us today to talk about her newest book, Sweet Charlotte's 25 Irresistible Patterns for Knitting Cowls, Capelets, and More. This is a really fun book because it is a book that really has something for all experience levels. Uh, Some of the projects are pretty easy, and some of them are going to challenge you. It's a good book for people to pick a pattern or pick a technique that you maybe have never tried and have a small project to tackle. So you don't have to commit to an entire sweater. You can just do something to wrap up in in the colder temperatures and not have to make the same commitment she would if it was a sweater. So Jean is going to join us and tell us about her book and share a really fun story about how she became a knit designer in the first place. And this is a really entertaining story. I think you're going to love it. Grab a project and settle in and stick around after the show. We're going to give you a chance to win a copy of Jean's new book, which is which is great. So we're going to give a copy of that away. So you can also check craftsanity.com for details. And we're also going to have Jean playing us out. Not only is Jean an accomplished knit designer, she also has some musical talents as well. And she is going to tell us about that too. One of her latest projects is some textile-related songs. And we're going to hear sampling of that. So, uh, so let's get to that conversation. Jean, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. I'm very excited to get a chance to speak with you about your latest book, all the other books you've written, and I know there's a whole stack of them, and all the other design work that you've done, and also your your recent fiber and craft-related music that you've been producing. So I'm really excited. Welcome. Oh, Jennifer, I'm really delighted to be here. I'm, I'm so pleased that you've agreed to uh, join the blog tour. I'm really pleased with Sweet Charlotte's. It, it was a a long shot. I was asked to do it at very short notice. And it's been an absolute dream project for me to work my way through 25 Charlotte designs. Now, when you say it was a a quick project, I mean, you didn't have a lot of time. How much time did you have? Erica Hoesh Saunders. She was a senior editor anyway at Taunton Press, rang me in November 2010 and um, asked me if I'd like to do the book. But the deadline date was um, March, end of March 2011. Oh, wow. And um, that was like from scratch. And, you know, I hummed and hard. I didn't know whether I should do it or not because I knew it would be a lot of pressure to get it all done. 25 charlettes um, knitted, patterns done, just the book wrapped up for the end of March. But it sort of fitted in with schedules that I had already. We had um, 
and it has toured to Morocco starting last week of March. And I thought, well, I can make that my deadline and um, I can just immerse myself for four months in Charlotte's and just see what comes out of it. And the book was born out of that. Well, I have to say that you would, I, one would have no idea that it was written that quickly because it, it really is beautiful and there's such great variety. You did a great job of, of just bringing in such a wonderful range of, of projects for people. So that's... Well, yeah, Jennifer, I, I'm an obsessive by nature. <laughs> and, you know, once someone asks me to do something, I'm there and I'm like a dog at a bone. <laughs> I'll sort of explore and experiment and just play with all sorts of different angles of the brief. So, you know, the brief was do what you like, but come up with 25 shorelets. And so I immediately made a book plan and sorted out the chapters. And then, then I just had to have about two weeks where I did nothing. This was the cooking time and I could think about it and just sort of sketch, sketch, sketch and sort of try and get some ideas down of, of what I'd like to put in the book. And I came up with loads and loads of ideas. Some, you know, I, I knew immediately they wouldn't go anywhere. And then I, so I edited them all down to what I thought were maybe 10 for each chapter. And then I looked at them. And, you know, I mean, I don't know whether you do a lot of designing um, yourself, but... Not on the same level as you, let me tell you that. Well, um. <laughs> well, well you always find when... when you, you initially conceive of a design and you think, oh, that's brilliant. You know, right. this, this is going to be a real winner. Yeah. <laughs> and then it comes to the execution of it. And you find nobody's going to knit this. Right. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's just impossible. <laughs> and so there are so many different factors that go into the making of a book and into the, the conception of a design in, in terms of making it workable for knitters. And, um, that's one of the main things I wanted to do with this book, to make it so that with not a great deal of expertise for at least half of the projects, you know, that, that most of them will be knittable. Right, right. Rather than go off on a voyage where um, basically I'm sort of designing my dreams that, you know, I don't have to knit. You know, I can knit a swatch and then pass it on to someone, a, a, a sample knitter, to knit for me. Right. Um, and I'll be delighted with the finished product, but I haven't actually sat there for hours and under knitted it. But you know, for this this project, Sweet Charlotte, I wanted to make them knittable, beautiful, for people to enjoy what they're doing, and for them to be a delight to look at whilst they're looking, whilst they're knitting them. You know, so I researched yarns um, all over the place, but then because the time frame was just so tight. I ended up using mostly Rowan yarns because I know them so well. You know, I, I've worked with Rowan for nearly 30 years now. So um, they had lots and lots of great design, sorry, great yarns to choose from. I'm, I'm a big fan of sustainable fibers and um, wanted really to, to use a lot of them in the book. As it, it panned out that I think I used two of Rowan's fibers simply because there were so many luxury fibers that they had to offer. I wanted it to be a showcase of really, really nice fibers that knitters might not have seen before and might be introduced to. Having said that, you know, you don't have to use the fibers that I've used. Um, the yardage is in there. 
And certainly most of them will work if you get the gauge right. Right. You know, you can certainly substitute and, more importantly, use yarn from your stash. Right, because every knitter has a stash. Absolutely. (laughs) Some of them don't like to talk about their stash, but we all have one. Um, We all certainly have one. And mine... My my partner Philip has locked the door of mine and has the key at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, so he wants nothing more added to the stash. Is that the purpose of locking it? I I think so. Yes. Yeah, so I'll have to find other places to hide it. Yeah, I think there's I, hide the stash. <laughs> well, I know there's a lot of of knitters out there who've done that slow walk where they're facing the person and they have something behind their back and they kind of move quickly through a room and 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 disappear with their yarn and try to hide things. Yeah. Um so I think there's quite a few people with multiple places in their homes that they've stashed away yarn. That's right. You've got to check his home before you get home with more yarn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you've broken up your book into, it looks like, four different chapters here. And mm-hmm. and so there's four different styles of shawlettes that are available. So if people have, however they tend to dress or what their interests are, you can you tell us about the four different themes you kind of went with in this book? Well, there's country to begin with. And I wanted these designs to have a fresh sort of um, floral sort of inspiration. And... Um, Really, the the sort of source for it was our home in Wales, um, which is in mid-Wales, about five miles from the sea. And we've got a big garden there. And I love gardening, so, um, you know, I'm always in the garden if I'm not knitting or cooking food, because that's my other love. Um, And so you'll find that the six um, designs in this chapter all have some element of natural sort of floral leaves, um, just something out of nature. They're inspired by something from nature. Then onto the couture section. This was more block colours, more about sort of quick knits, easy knits, knits that you can wear to, you can fling them on, go out, and just more city knits, I suppose, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the country, country style. Um, and then on to folk knits. Now, this is a section that I found really interesting to research and and then to design for because they're all different sort of folk techniques. Um, so you've got Fair Isle. Basically, they're all um, techniques that you find around the world. And this is another thing that I love about knitting. Knitting is a sort of common consciousness that brings people together we all know, we all have our own ways, really, of doing Fair Isle. I don't, you know, people think it started in the Fair Isles, but, you know, if you look at Peru, um, they do their own form of Fair Isle knitting with colours, you know, and mm-hmm. intarsia. And it, it's a lovely thing that, that knitting has been developed all over the world, and you think it would be developed in different ways, and it has. But there, there's a common thread throughout all people who knit, and, and it brings us all together. So I was very interested in looking at the different techniques um, to put them into um, the folk section of the book. Um, so basically, they all use, they're, they're all little samplers and tasters of techniques in the folk section. So, you know, you don't have to invest a lot of time and a lot right. of money in yarn, but you can, say, try to do a small project which will introduce you 
and, and, and we'll, we'll let you know whether or not you want to go on and do maybe a sweater with that technique. Right, and, and that's the beauty of these projects are attainable then. And as you said, they're not as expensive either because you can, you know, make a, a shawlette as opposed to a whole sweater. And, that's right. And not have the same time commitment. And then sure. the final section that you have in your book it's, is vintage. It's vintage. Yeah, yeah, tell me about that, please. Um, well, I wanted this section to be inspired by all the, the sort of 1950s Hollywood greats, um, like Grace Kelly, Marilyn Monroe, um, and actually some uh, a little earlier, like um, Greta Garbo. I just wanted them to be a bit more glamorous and, um, you know, sort of, uh, luxurious and um, something you can feel very sophisticated and classy when you wear it, you know. And, and I, I threw a bit more caution to the wind in uh, this chapter uh, as regards technique because um, you'll notice Kitty Capelet. Oh, yeah. Now, that, yeah. <laughs> That's not for the the sort of weak of heart, as regards to me, as you know. It's 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 quite a a sort of difficult knit, right? Uh, right. Even you know, I'm saying that. But what what I thought afterwards when I when I designed it, I thought what I would do next time is make the actual leopard print a bit bigger, and that would be easier to knit. Um, right, maybe right. your knitters don't want to know this, um, but it, it is that I think that is the most uh, challenging project in the book. Uh, not not the shape of it, but just there is so much intaglia in, in there, um, and I think you would have to be a very um, experienced intaglia knitter to to tackle the cape, the kitty cape. Look. Well, it looks beautiful. It's it's really yeah. beautiful. Um, when it's finished, and yeah, this is one, that is definitely a project that you need to commit to, and you have to focus. Uh, you, yeah. you, you probably shouldn't watch a real engaging television program or movie while Absolutely you're doing this. Absolutely not. <laughs> you need to focus on that. Yeah. So, so in definitely in that vintage section, it looks like you have more, a couple more projects that are, de- you know, intended for an experienced knitter. But what's that's right. But there are st- there are still um, sort of easy projects. I mean, the boa, that boa, that is a very very easy project. Um, and let me see the others in there. Um, yeah, um, also the, the Entrelac, um, treasure, um, that is a very sort of easy Entrelac. It's a sort of starter for Entrelac because you're not changing colors. Um, and it's also got a lovely little frill on the end. Right. you can just take the frills off and apply it to, you know, another sweater. And that, that's, that's another thing that I wanted to say about the book. The techniques in the book, um, I just thought it, all of them are sort of quite nice to have in your portfolio of techniques, in any knitter's portfolio. And if you've tried them in small projects, you can then get the confidence to go on and say, if you have a plain sweater, um, you could you could perhaps change the ribs to a corrugated rib with two colours, you know, and you can get, get up to speed with that, with Bess, which is, um, I think that's in the folk section. Right, so um, those will give you some... Um, you know, it, it, gives, it does give the confidence, yeah, and, and experience, and then you can take um, the technique 
then you can add it to plain sweaters or you can use it to, to make any other project unique to you. If you're following a pattern and you found a little frill or, or a little trim to something or a technique that would um, transfer easily, then you know, you, you've just got much more opportunity, many more opportunities to actually make any design your own. Right, for sure. Which I, I, I like to encourage knitters to do that. You know, it's nice to try to empower knitters to just try a bit, try something that they can add to a pattern to make it their own. Well, there's a great deal of satisfaction that comes with that too when a knitter yeah. can get inspired by a great book and then maybe, you know, maybe it's as simple as changing the color scheme and picking a different yarn, you know. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah. there are people that go on the walk on the wild side and really you know, take liberties with patterns. And, you know, I always tell people it's, it's usually best to try to follow. If, you, if you're a new knitter, if you're just beginning, following the pattern is a good idea. I've made many, yeah. I've made many mistakes going off road. Uh, sure. And, um, but, it, but it's really great though, as you build your experience to be able to, and you know, you've done more and more knitting. It's great to just be able to look at a pattern and say, oh, you know, that's great, but I'm going to put trim on or I'm going to take the trim off or whatever. And you've certainly given knitters definitely a really inspiring book to get started with. So mm -hmm. I think that's uh, really fabulous. And congratulations. And especially under such time constraints, that was that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That, that's so nice of you to say so. I'm interested in your background in knitting, and I would love to hear how you became the knitter you are today and this accomplished designer. Did you learn to knit as a child? I did learn to knit as a child. Um, my grandmother taught me to knit, um, I think, before I was five or something. And I remember knitting lots of very, very long, long scarves. You know the ones with drop stitches? Oh, yeah, yep. They're supposed to have drop stitches. <laughs> they might Mine probably had many more drop stitches, but um, those were the scarves I made. And um, my, my family were very poor. They, um, my mother worked in a cotton mill, um, and we, we had very little money. So I remember the, the yarn that we used for these sweaters was unraveled from scarves. The yarn for the scarves was unraveled. So first of all, I used to um, unravel the sweaters with my grandmother, and then um, she'd give me some yarn to, to make my scarves. So you were doing a lot of recycling before people were yeah, really into that. that's now, right. That's right. Now it's totally in vogue to be doing that, you know. It is, yeah. 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 So did you constantly knit? I mean, did you knit throughout your life, or did you get to a point where you came back to um, it professionally? Well, yeah, I had a very fallow period. Um, I stopped knitting, I suppose, when I was about 10. Um, I, you know, like lots of young girls, I thought it wasn't very cool. But then... Um, Probably in my late teens, I, I started to take an, an interest. Um, well, I didn't start, I, I had an interest in fashion. Um, and I saw a sweater that I could never afford to buy, but I just wanted it. And I thought, I can do that. Um, I'll get some needles and, and I'll do it. And so this was a sort of, it had feral bands, but like three. It was a long sweater with, long, with three large feral bands across it. And so I found a pattern that was very similar. And I followed the pattern to the letter, I might add. And I ended up with a great sweater. And um, I think, you know, 
today a lot of knitters are very, very frightened of a lot of techniques. And in fact, it's still only two needles and a ball of yarn, isn't it? At the right, end of the right. you know, and if you don't have the fear, I mean, it, it often seems a lot more intimidating than it actually is to knit. Right. And, you know, do whatever, you know. Um, and at that point, I had, had no fear. I just wanted the sweater. And so I went for it, and I had a very kind lady who lived across the road who just taught me through how you weave the, the um, yarn in on the back of the work. Um, she didn't teach me the two-handed method of fair isle. I, I did it with the, the two yarns in one hand, um, but it worked. It was fine. And um, I'm forever grateful to her for teaching me that. And from then on, I sort of always did a little bit of knitting. I was never obsessed, um, but uh, I did do some knitting all the time. And then whenever I wanted something that I, I couldn't afford to buy, I would always knit it for myself. And then later, um, when my two children were very, very young, I, I used to um, knit them sweaters all the time. And at that point, we were living in a farmhouse miles away from anywhere. So... We, we didn't have a way, really, of making a living. Um, my husband was driving um, about 100 miles away to teach, and I was left on the farm. We had lots of animals. We had sort of goats and chickens and geese and a donkey and horses. and just It was a real menagerie on this farm. And so I, I was left at, at home with uh, a couple of, of kids, and I thought, there's got to be a way of making a living from home. And I was doing my knitting and knitting for the kids. And I thought, um, I'll just get a knitting machine and I'll try and do something from that. And so I got the knitting machine and somebody came and gave me three lessons. And that was great. Um, and I started making dresses sort of at the time. Peruvian style was really in vogue. And um, so I thought, I'll make some Peruvian dresses with lots of stripes and they'll just be sort of like square pieces with a yoke and that, that'll all be square pieces so it won't be difficult to do. Right. And, and I was very lucky to have a friend who had a boutique in London, on, um, in Camden in London. And she said, oh, right, just send them down, because you know, we were sort of up in the Yorkshire wolds. Um, she send the sweaters down and I'll try and sell them for you. So... This I did, and she sold them straight away. And so I quickly had to, I couldn't, I couldn't produce as many as she was selling. So I had to get some more knitters to, to help, some outworkers. And the business just started from there because I then, with, with machine knitters, they do it for a living. So I had to keep them in work. So I had to go to fairs to find more work to keep them, to keep them going because this one shop couldn't. Um, and, so, and at one of the, the fairs that I went to in London, um, I met Ralph Lauren's agent who said, would you like to come and meet Ralph um, and bring some of your work? She said, I love the Fair Isles and, and um, I'm sure he'd like to see it. So actually I hadn't heard of Ralph Lauren at all. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> when was that? What, what year that, was that? That was in 1982. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so, so I... You know, I, I didn't really know what it was about. But she said, yeah, but it's got to be hand knitting. So, and she said, Ralph's going off to Milan, and he'll be back in two weeks, and could you bring some samples to show him? So, oh, boy. So she wanted hand knit samples in two weeks. That's right. 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so I'm sort of famous for not saying no, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I have said, that problem too. Yeah. 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 I said, that, that's no problem at all. <laughs> I'll be back. In, in did you, did you cry all the way home? <laughs> I did. And, and I, had no, I had no hand lit out workers. So oh I had my to, goodness. I had to enlist every friend and me- member of the family that I could round up to knit different pieces of these sweaters. Oh, like, wow. so, so I had one person knitting a sleeve, a one person knitting a, a back, one person knitting a <laughs> And so you can imagine, logistically, the problem oh, of boy. putting them together, you know, blocking them, getting them to fit the different gauges. You know. Oh, wow. It, it, was, it was an absolute nightmare. And so I, I got them all together. I think I had about six or seven sweaters. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, I don't know who this guy is, but I don't think he's going to like this uh, sort of rag bag. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, I went down um, to his hotel two weeks later, and there were loads of people queuing up at his, his door um, to show them all, all their wares, loads of other designers. And so eventually I got my audience um, and it, it, it was all on this sort of like rather large king size bed. Um, all the all the knits were on there, and so I opened my little case, and he was sort of like going through them very very nicely. <laughs> but sort of, I could see from his face he didn't sort of really think very much of any of them. Oh boy! Um, and and then the last one was a little fair isle. It it was a fair isle with um, a cabled back. In fact, it's in my first book. That came out in 1991. Okay. I, I, yeah. But anyway, so this Farrell, he said, Oh, this is great. Um, he said, So could you do some more samples in this? Um, could you do a V neck, a crew neck, a cardi? Oh, you know, my and there were six different samples. He said, I'm going off, I'm going up to Scotland um, to see some suiting fabrics, and I'll be back in another week or something. <laughs> Me. I would have keeled over. What did you do? Well, well I said yes, no problem. <laughs> oh my gosh. Your friends and family must have been running from you by this point. Yeah. But I think Ralph must have sussed that um, I wasn't very good on shaping. You know? <laughs> I, think, I think he actually got that message. So anyway, I went off and, and I again got these absolutely awful samples together, but at least. <laughs> They were pieces for him to look at, and I sort of delivered them back. And yeah, so so I said yes, that's fine. And so he said, okay, um, I'm going to give you some spec sheets <laughs> to work from, and I'm going to order 500 of this one, and 200 of that one, and 400 of this one. Oh my one. goodness! And I had absolutely no knitters, you know, no sample knitters, just nothing. So I ended up with this um, order form for God knows how many sweaters with absolutely no way of achieving this so quickly. <laughs> we have, we, we, I mean, I was inc- incredibly pleased. I, I went home sort of bearing the, these orders. And then we had to set about finding um, home knitters, um, outworkers to fulfill the order. And um, actually, it turned out it wasn't that difficult. I mean... The difficulty was quality control. And we ended up with 2,000 knitters in the British Isles. Um, and I, I did many, many orders for Ralph Lauren in the next 10 years, like thousands of sweaters um, of um, 
Hamlets out of the UK. Um, and I, I enjoyed doing that very much. It was a huge and steep learning curve for me. It was um, like he, he had um, an artist who would just draw things that, that came into his head, what was inspiring him. And then he'd give me the drawing and I would have to go off and interpret it into a design. And um, that for me was my training. I mean, I had no formal training in design at all. I ended up designing sweaters because we had no other way of making a living from home. Wow. Uh, you know, so... <laughs> so how did you round up that first group of, when you got that first order, how did you round up the knitters at that point? Did you put an ad in the paper, or what, what did you do? Well, not in one paper. We researched sort of local papers throughout the British Isles, and we put adverts in every paper. And then... And then how did you select knitters? Because, I mean, as we know, I mean, there are knitters of varying levels of, uh, you know, expertise. That's absolutely true. We didn't select them. <laughs> they, were, they all got a knit kit, you know, and that was the selection process. We didn't have time because the important thing in commerce and in sort of commercial knitting, I learned, was that you make the deliveries on time. You know, okay. if, if not, you're left with many, many sweaters. So, um so we, we had had to make the, the delivery time. So um, we just got as many as we could. We paid them um, no matter what. I mean, they were not paid um, a fortune for this, but, but even the bad ones, we always paid for them. And I put sort of strict warnings on every pattern. If you um, don't get the gauge on this, um, we'll send them back to you, the, the sweaters. But I quickly realized it made not the slightest bit of notice no matter what I put on the pattern, um, the knitters would never get the gauge. Uh. <laughs> they did not. It was simply made no difference whatsoever. So I ended up, we'd have like, well, maybe five sizes or something. It was like extra small, small, medium, large, and extra large. And um, I only wrote one pattern for them in the end. I wrote a medium. Uh. Um, we got all sizes back. Well, and how much were knitters getting paid to do a whole sweater? I mean, how how much were they getting paid back then? At that point, I think they were getting paid about fifteen pounds per sweater. So it wasn't a whole lot of money. And then for you, did you have to buy all this yarn and send it out, or did, yeah, or did yeah, no, 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 we we had to buy the yarn. Okay, we ha I mean, the, what happened was. Um, Ralph, Polo Ralph Lauren, because we did menswear and women's wear. So we, we worked with the two different companies, Polo Ralph Lauren and Ralph Lauren uh, Women's Wear. Um, they would commission a design, and then we would buy the yarn and source the yarn. Although we did have help from Ralph Lauren's a agent, a, a woman called Mike Rotella, who lived in London. She did a lot of sourcing of yarn, and so, so she put me onto the people, the best people to get the yarn from. Okay. And sometimes, sometimes it was in Italy, but if it was um, a Shetland, sorry, if it was a Fair Isle um, sweater, we would always use Shetland wool, and it was always from Jameson and Smith, okay. which was spun at Jameson's mill. So did you get, um, because when you get this first exciting order that is kind of mm. overwhelming, did you get, any, did they pay you any kind of advance to like afford to buy all the yarn and put together the no. new kits? So, no. you, so you had to just kind of take a risk yourself. Oh, actually, yes, it was a risk. But I seem to, actually, what we did, what happened was we got a letter of credit, which does release some of the money to you. Right, right. We were, yes. 
yes, we actually couldn't have done it. We, I mean, we had an arrangement with the bank. I mean, you know, we, we were not rich people. We, could, we couldn't have done it. We did, you know, we took lots of risks. I mean, it, I mean, it sounds like though it's worked out beautifully for you. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I hardly do production now at all, and I mean, I do very little production. Um, but they were heady days, the whole of the eighties, you know, when we were producing thousands, literally thousands of sweaters. And then, did they all come to you first, and then you would forward them on, so you could have some kind of quality <laughs> yeah, that, control? We we had uh, several workshops. Um, well, one here in York, one in Leeds, and several people worked in the workshops on finishing so this um, somebody would make up the kits send them out um, and then when they came back we'd have people labeling them pressing them quality control checking them and the quality control was impossible really because as I said nobody you know works to gauge it right, seems right. and so um, you know we the finishing is marvelous I mean you can do a lot of things with um, blocking and pressing but you know ultimately there are some things that you have to write off and so we had a whole room full of seconds they got <laughs> the, the room got bigger and bigger and bigger you know the workshop at one point was getting bigger to accommodate the seconds oh and goodness. so we, we used to have sales in London um, I remember um, there were pre-Christmas sales in Kensington High Street um, they always had this sort of show there and so we take all our seconds down there um take the labels out and sell them all off which well, was a godsend for us well yeah i mean it puts a little more money back into your business and then it's not all is not, all is not yeah. lost on the right. that yeah. get, got paid to send you a sweater that just was not going to work out sure but you know working um for ralph lauren um it it had a real snowball effect because you know laura ashley then saw the stuff that I was doing for Ralph Lauren and asked me to do machine knits, commercial machine knits from a factory um, of similar fair isle sort of designs using Shetland wool um, for her. So that had the knock-on effect of, of getting more work, you know, in, in a different capacity, in a sort of commercial capacity. And then, you know, I went on from there to work for, for Benetton and lots of sort of U.S. Um, department stores in the States and... Now, um, were you working from your home for a long time, or did you eventually move into a more of a, a you know, a traditional workspace? Well, um, we worked from the farm um, for about five years, and it did get pretty impossible because we had um, massive articulated trucks coming down a track that had. It was just a farm track with sort of potholes oh boy. And, and, and four gates. Oh and boy. on a couple of occasions, they did get stuck. Um, so in the end, we decided, you know, we've got to bite the bullet and we've got to move into a town somewhere. So that's when, like, I think 1985 um, or 7 or something, we, we moved to York. To, to a house where it was easy to get deliveries. Um, and we also then sort of got a workshop in York okay. um, so, that, so that the yarn wasn't coming to the house, it was coming to the workshop. Right, so you can kind of have a little separation of your, your professional exactly. life and your home life. Yeah. Yes. And so it sounds like it just, this is something that grew out of a meeting the agent, you know, Ralph's agent, sounds like it was really just this amazing set you on an amazing path it sounds like well it's just pure chance isn't it it's it's sort of i don't know whether it, it could happen then 
Oh, sorry, if it could happen now. I mean, it seems much harder now for young people who are into design to get a break. You know, and um, it's such a pity. I mean, there's so much design talent around. I mean, I'm amazed, you know, by, by what people come up with. I mean, you, if you look on Ravelry, it's just oh, yeah. mind-blowing, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. And I don't think there, there are as many breaks around, you know. But now you've actually got to be good at so many things like marketing and sort of promotion and, you know, it's a whole different ball game. But I think then there were the opportunities, you know, if you, if you could take them. You know, you you could actually get business by just being there and sort of being confident, and that I think that's what we did. You know, initially you were commissioning, you were working on all these hand knit sweaters, and you had all these knitters knitting for you. Are big design companies in the fashion industry are they still commissioning hand knits, or are they have a lot of them gone to machine? Well, no, I I think. hand knits are commissioned but not as much and also um, it's cheaper for them now to have in-house designers so I mean you find that a lot of people actually work in-house right but you know you get a job and you're paid a salary rather than um, you're paid um, a standard fee for the design and then a commission I mean I don't think things work like that any longer and also I mean, there are a lot of hand knits out of the Far East now, aren't there, and, and the Near East, right? Um, which they're cheaper to do. So I don't think there's as much production. I mean, even like in, in Russia, there is, there's some um, production now, um, and the Baltic. So I, I think that hand knits out of England are a rarer breed than they used to be. All the time I was doing the hand knits for... Um, both Ralph Lauren and other sort of major U.S. design houses. I mean, I did some for Calvin Klein and Perry Ellis and other other designers. I was developing my own line at the same time, and I used to go to um, the New York Pret um, twice a year, and that got me clients like Neiman Marcus and um, Barney. This was this was ages ago. Um, I stopped doing production, so probably ten years ago, but. Um, it was, you know, in the 80s, it was sort of, it, there was a buzz around hand knits and hand knits were a sort of slightly different animal to what they are now. It was much more a fashion-led thing rather than a knitterly thing. Right. And right. both things, you know, I mean, I enjoy both sides of it. You know, I love, I love making my knits fashion-led, but I also enjoy the knitting. Um, but somehow... Um, now knitting is a sort of it's a hip thing in itself to do isn't it you know right oh absolutely you know people you know um people are process knitters as well as product knitters you know and you know it's just it's got a whole other side to it you know it's sort of it's not just hip to knit but it's a sort of um it's good to relax with you know it's um it takes you to other places you know that you know if, if you're just a a if you're doing it commercially, there's a lot of pressure there and you don't get the benefit of, you know, the sort of the stress-free sort of time that it can give to you. You know, once you can create your own space with knitting, that is fabulous, isn't it? You've got your cocoon, you've got the knitting and it's your time. And then when, yeah, you're, um, done, and then when you're done, you have a nice sweater at the end, you know. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that's the bonus, isn't it? <laughs> right. Right, and so the people invest in yarn and needles as opposed to finished products. You know, and people who exactly. know people yeah. who know how to knit are less likely to buy a hand knit sweater. 
than they are, you know, to just go get That's the yarn right. and, and, and then make yeah. it. So it sounds like you were set up, though, to appeal to both the people that were very fashion conscious in the 80s and wanted these hand-knit sweaters. And uh, did you start publishing your patterns uh, soon after, or did you wait until that production knitting had kind of run its course? Yeah, I, I think I was doing much less production knitting. Well, actually, what happened was um, my husband died um, in 1990. Oh, boy. And Sorry, so that was like half of... <laughs> um, it, it was a difficult time um, because he ran. He, he, we were partners in the business, and he did all the admin for, for the business. And, you know, it... It was run jointly. I just did design, and he did the rest of it. Oh boy! Um, yeah. So, so that had a big impact. And so, after he died, um, I I really stopped doing production in a big way. I just couldn't handle it. And so, my first book. It was then that I think um, Random House approached me to to do my first book. And really, they were very interested in having Ralph Lauren designs in it. I mean, that was uh, the hook for it. You know, they, it wasn't particularly that it was me <laughs> who they wanted to write the book. It was just because they were mostly Ralph Lauren designs. That, that, that was the angle. Um, so it happened to dovetail with that. So I thought maybe this is the time to sort of stop doing the production and, and look more to doing um, writing books and okay. doing book tours and you know, and communicating with knitters and meet some of the people, you know, who are knitting my designs. So you have kind of made this natural transition then, um, just as, I mean, life events change the course of your, you know, not only your life, but your career. That's right, yeah. I think, I mean, you know, well, my life has probably panned out because I just follow my nose. Yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I haven't really planned any of it. Um, and that's why... You know, I'd, I'd like, <laughs> I'd really like to have a musical life as well, but there just doesn't seem the time. You know, I need two lives <laughs> or three lives. Well, well, tell me, tell me a little bit about that, because at what point did um, music come in? Because I know you've been doing some uh, really fun. I, I just listened to some of your recent music um, yesterday, and yeah. um, such fun. I mean, you've brought the knitting into the music, um, which yeah. is really interesting. So, were you always someone who would? Um, sing and write music or is it something happening yeah. later no it from being a teenager I've always played guitar um and played spoons and I, I was in a duo with, with my husband um called Scarlet Bardo and we used to play in folk clubs for in fact until our youngest um two sons were five and six and had to go to school we just used to travel around um we made a living um through music just you know doing small gigs in in folk clubs all over the uk um and i just music makes my heart sing you know i just love it i love all types of music well not maybe not all but most types of music and um to sing is is just wonderful it's so therapeutic it's like knitting it's another form of, of, of therapy. If you've got any, anything you're bothered by, you know, if you can sing, you immediately feel much better. And it's the same with the knitting. You know, you can pick your knitting up and you're immediately transported to a different place and you can forget about any troubles, like a song. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
don't listen to trouble. <laughs> don't give way to fear. Furl away your problems and knit away your cares. Tears. <laughs> so, so for you, knitting, you've kind of come back to the music. It sounds sure. like. Um, I'd, I yeah, I'd love to. I'd love. I actually love to um, start a sort of some sort of knit related band. It, it would be. A dream project. Well, me. it sounds like you you're already well on your way. Because how many songs yeah. have you written that are knitting related? Well, I think only about three or four. Um, not because on, on the CD, on the the um, small CD, that there's only three songs, and two of them are um, they're traditional songs. So it's only the first one that I co-wrote. Um, but I'm always like on the website, I've got this page called Odd Bits, um, where I'm asking people to send in um, either poems or songs um, that they know about that are textile related. And um, it would be great, you know, to have some more on, on, on the page. And, and if anybody knows any um, that I could sing um, or that they sing, I'd be really, really pleased to hear them. So are you thinking that you'd like to go to maybe Vogue Knitting and be the entertainment? <laughs> I, I've, never been to, I've never been to Vogue Knitting, and I didn't even know they had the entertainment. But I, I don't know that they have entertainment either. Oh, I, know, I know I get invited to Vogue a Knitting Live oh, okay. every year, and my travel budget is, is such that I, I usually say, well, have a good time. I'll watch yeah. here from home. But um, I could imagine that there would be some appreciative knitters in the audience who would who would think that was quite quite great to to have you know lyrics that speak to them directly as they click away in the audience that would be something well i must say i did do that 2000 when my book for xrx came up sculptured knits i i went to one of their is other conventions called knitters knitters convention yeah they have knitters, knitters convention yeah that's right. trade, okay like trade so shows I, and so forth yeah that's right yeah okay so i was invited by alexi um to go to the knitters, um, well, quite a few of them actually, and they always have a sort of um, a gala, a gala night, and I wasn't really aware that everybody had to do a turn at, at these these galas, and so I was very surprised when Alexi suddenly said from the stage, "And now we have Jean Mosh, who's going to sing to you." Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> and. Um, so I, I did have my spoons with me, so I didn't have a guitar for accompaniment, <laughs> not having expected to be asked to do it. So, so I actually sang um, and played spoons at the gala dinner. Oh wow! On a couple of occasions. Well, that's great. It, it was, yeah, it was quite nice because people joined in, and um, yeah, you you may have some listeners who who remember that. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and where where was that? That was in. Um, now I think there was one occasion in, in um, Minnesota, okay. and then there was, there was another occasion in um, Oakland, California. Okay. So, yeah, we'll have to see who remembers Jean and her spoon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, so it sounds like one of your other passions, you said, is cooking. So aside from yeah. the music, you're really into into cooking. And is that something that has just been a constant for you? Yeah, well, I, I'm a passionate vegetarian. I'm a long-time vegetarian, and all my children are vegetarians. Um, I'm not a proselytizing vegetarian. You know, I don't expect everybody to do it, but for me, it's a part of my life. Um, so I'm always looking for, for good recipes and for new recipes because you can 
really getting a bit of a rut. Yeah, you know? for sure. And um, so, you know, I, if I'm pressed, I always cook the same things, you know, because I know they work. But um, I, I found a really good vegetarian cookbook this Christmas. It's by a guy called um, Dennis Cotter, who runs this Cafe Paradiso in Cork Island. Um, and I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to trying quite a lot of his um, recipes because they look gorgeous in the book. And cooking, for me, is, is another angle um, for knitting because I need, you know, every design needs cooking time. True. And, so, and so I have to do displacement activities, like, you know, at the beginning of any book, I have to have some time to, to think about it and to just sort of, I was going to say do nothing, but it's, it's not a matter of doing nothing. You need You're to just do something. doing something else. Yeah, and that's right, yeah. And, and then you can think about it and, and designs come to you. And you can quickly just sketch them down or note them down. And cooking, for me, provides a space to just think about things. And so, you know, it's, um, it's a good place to be. It's also great after I've been crunching numbers all day because I write a lot of patterns. And, um, you know, if it's just, this Sweet Charlotte's was great because not many of them are graded, the patterns. You know, a few of them I have put um, different sizes in right, there. But, right. but most of them come in one size. And for me, just not having to crunch quite so many numbers was an absolute holiday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do write a lot of patterns and they come in six sizes usually. Um, and so after a day um, in my studio upstairs doing that, it's just so good to come downstairs, just be in the kitchen, chop up a few vegetables and turn on the music and relax. I read somewhere, you and your partner Philip actually host knitting and garden tours. So once again, the knitting gets combined with the gardening. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, knitting, gardening, food, music, dance. Yeah. <laughs> All the things I love. I mean, what, what we want the tours to be, really, we have a sort of big house party ethos, you know, and we just want people to have a lovely time. And we do make sure that we, we work very hard to make sure that the tours go like clockwork and so that people don't have to worry about anything. We, you know, Philip is quite, neurotic is the wrong word, but he's <laughs> <laughs> but he is very, very careful to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and, you know, the, so that once we're on the tour, we don't have a lot of things to worry about. We know it's all in place and that, you know, we can do our best to make new friends and make people feel comfortable. And so we, we have a lot of returning um, clients who are now just good friends. And do people, like, fly over to go on these tours, or are these mostly yeah. local folks? No, no, no. Um, actually, mostly from the U.S. and Canada. Okay. Um, some from Australia. Um, we've had um, French people, but not really many people from the U.K., because um, people who are in the U.K. already aren't that interested. You can just travel around, I suppose. Right, uh, right. So they're mainly people, people from abroad um, take our tours. And actually, we had so many returners um, a couple of years ago that they were asking us to do new trips because usually they're, they're two-centered trips. Um, 
uh, sorry, two-centred tours in the UK, like um, Bath and Devon or the Lakes and Edinburgh. And they're usually city and country. They have a city and a, a country element. So we've done several tours and several tours like two or three times and people saying, well, we want to go somewhere else. We want to go you know, abroad somewhere, not, not the UK any longer. So this year, no, last year now, um, 2011, we did a trip to Morocco, um, which was for me absolutely amazing. <laughs> And I think for the tourists as well. Now, are these knitters that are coming on these trips, or are they just yeah. people? Okay. Um, they're, well, they're full knitters, so we have other designers um, on, on the tours. Like um, next year's tour, the one in May, is um, Lakes in York, and we have Martin Story and Carol Meldrum, um, who are doing workshops and lectures on, on the tour as well as myself. Okay. Um, then we have one in September, which is Knit Island, and we have um, Carol Feller on that tour, as well as Anne O'Malley, who was the first person to... She lives in, in um, Galway, um, just opposite the Aran Islands, and her, her shop goes back to the 1930s, and they were the first shop to ever stock Aran sweaters. They came straight over from Aran. Oh, wow. Into her store in Galway, which is where... Um, the boats land from Aaron. Um, so yeah, that tour is full actually. The, the island we have a long waiting list, so I think we're going to run another one um, early in 2012. So if, um, you, if people want to find out more about the tours, where yeah. do, where do they need to go online to to find that out? Well, if, they, if they go to my website, which is www.jeanwas.com, um, and then just click on to tours, they'll see what we're offering this year. Okay. Um, which is Knit Island and uh, Lakes in York. Okay, so it sounds like one of the trips still has some openings. That's the one in May. That's um, Lakes in York. What do you think is the biggest change that you've witnessed with when you look at just designers today and when you were starting? I mean, the internet must be one of the most, I mean, the biggest things. It's changed things. Absolutely. It, I mean, it's just amazing that you can, as a click um, of, on the computer, you can have a pattern on your computer and you can be knitting from it straight away, you know, from seeing it, liking it, you know, you click onto it and you download a pattern and it's there. And I mean, it, it also makes it more viable for designers to make a living, doesn't it? Right. Cause now people have independence and they can self publish if they choose to, and, uh, you know, go from there. And have you done any, have you done any self publishing? Well, I, I would, actually love to do that I've done the nearest that you can get to it because when I a couple of years ago I did a couple of books for Aracania uh, Yarns um, through um, it was at KFI in the States uh, the, the people who commissioned them and designer yarns in the UK and um, the books I don't know whether you've seen them one's called Wandering Spirits which uses Aracania cotton different qualities of Aracania cotton yeah I don't think I have seen that one and the other one's in the mood, which is um, the sort of wool quality version of it. Okay. Um, with different designs. Um, and the brief there was just to um, do the whole book, go off, you know, get a, a photographer, models, you know, hair and makeup, do the designs, um, the layout of the book, everything, and just produce the book on disc oh, wow. for, print, for printing. Yeah. And I, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I love bookmaking. Um, 
and you know going to the shoots sort of styling the photos and you know chatting to the models and you know making making the images basically for the photographer photo shoot it's just wonderful i enjoyed it so much and and i'd love to do that i'd love to self publish you know cuz then you've got more control of of how things look well and i think the end product feels more your own. I know I have not published any books at this point, but I've, I started publishing a, a magazine that comes out quarterly and that was uh, December of 2010. And I have a print journalism background. So I thought, well, I'd been wanting to do this for a long time and it's a multi-craft publication. So it's not just knitting, but while my husband and I do this kind of on a shoestring budget and with the models or people we know. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we do this very, you know, low budget, but what's really fun about it is it's such a wild adventure where you go through the stages yeah. of grief, trying to put it together where you're like, at first, you know, you're like, you can't believe it that you're, you're in this again. And then you, you you're like <laughs> devastated somewhere in the middle and then you become um, delirious with sleep deprivation. And then when it's over and it's done, you're like, wow, that was so much fun. We're going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it's really, it, it's, it's wonderful. Technology has, has really created a, a just a, an opportunity for so many budding designers to, uh, you don't really necessarily need someone to come along and say, wow, you should, you should publish that or let me publish that for you. Uh, you can do it yourself, mm-hmm. which is really yeah. great. Uh, is, is, is there anything that you wish you would have known when you started or any advice that you might have for the designers who are just getting started now? Uh, I know you've had you know, 30 years to just experience this and learn things. And it, is there anything that you wish you would have known when you started? Um, I don't know about wish I'd known, but I, I think the advice that I would give to anybody is just go for it. You know, if you, if you want to do it, do it and don't be afraid, um, you know, because we're all just in there trying to make a living and trying to, you know, I suppose in one way chasing dreams. So, you know, we might only get one chance, <laughs> you know, who knows, we may never come back. Right. So, you know, so, so if you want it, go for it. Well, I think that's fabulous advice. I, I live by those words myself. And uh, and sometimes I often ask people, was there anything you wish you would have known? And I, I, I it's so funny that I keep asking this question because I think in my case, I there's the things I didn't know, it was probably best I didn't know them at the time. <laughs> because, I would agree with that. Because <laughs> there are many things that, you know, you just jump in and you're like, I'm going to do this. And you're like, wow, I, I didn't think about X, Y, and Z. Yeah, <laughs> but it would be too terrifying had you known. The one last question I do want to know yeah. is: you have these really great designs. What inspires you? Where are you getting these great ideas? Well, all, all my ideas, I suppose, are fashion-led. Um, I I do follow um, I follow the fashion press. I, I don't I don't really take many magazines, um, but I do look at trends online, and. I'm really, really interested in street fashion. I just like to, if I go anywhere, if I'm on holiday or even if I'm just at home in York and, and I need to clear my head, I'll just walk down the river from because we, we live within walking distance of the centre of town. So I'll walk down the river, blow away the cobwebs and go and sit in a cafe and just watch people, <laughs> you know, with, with a, a cup of coffee. Right. And, um, you know, it's amazing, the stuff, especially in cities, the stuff that people wear. And there is, I do think there's a common consciousness about clothes. And, and 
I've, I've said a lot there's a trickle-down effect from the street to the catwalk. And people correct me and they say, no, it's a trickle-down effect from the catwalk to the street. But I often see people, you know, who are not designers. It's just like they've got a fantastic way of putting clothes together and they look great. You know, and I often find that really, really inspiring. And then maybe two months later, you see it on the catwalk. <laughs> right. And I, you know... And it, I don't know, it seems a bit insulting, I suppose, to sort of big designers to say that they've, you know, got it from the street. And I don't suppose they have. Maybe it's just some sort of common thing that, I don't know, that the influences seem to be around us, just swirling around in the ether. Right. And some people pick up. Some people are very sensitive, you know. Some people are just very good with colours and pulling a look together and, you know, throwing on clothes and they just look fabulous. And I find it all very exciting, incredibly um, inspiring, to, especially if you're in a big city like London or Manchester, to just sit around on a pavement in summer just watching people walk by. I mean, it's, it's both entertaining and inspiring. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm sure some of the styles are maybe not ones you'd want to replicate, but um... no, exactly. But but actually, they do sow the seeds. You know, maybe oh, a, a slightly different one. Yeah, and I always have my camera to hand. Um, I, I'm always snapping pictures of things that I love. I mean, not not just people, but things, objects, colors, landscapes. You know, just everything because. It's all grist to the mill, and it all goes into your sort of com the, the mind's computer, you know. And maybe you don't think anything of it at the time. It's just a lovely image. But then later, when you get a brief for a design, you know, from a magazine or something, or, or even if you just have a blank sheet of paper and you need to fill it, then you draw on, on that reservoir that you've got sort of stored away and something comes out of it, you know, from, it seems from nowhere, but it's not. It's because you've had all this time to sort of, um, you know, to cogitate and to, to have all, store all, all these images away and, and you can bring them back sometimes, not, not, not at will, but just when there's a spark and it just reminds you of something that you've seen in the past. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. <laughs> yeah. And I think it sounds like just the world is your inspiration, like, you know, whatever you see. And and I think it's like that for most people too. You know, we're influenced yeah. sometimes very subconsciously, you know, sometimes we're not, yeah, even trying, we're not even trying to like go look for ideas. We're just on our way to the bank or something. And, you know, you see something that really, you know, gets stuck in your, you know, subconscious and eventually comes back out through a design, which is really wonderful how that happens and how surprising it can be sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, I do agree there. And, and I was once interviewed by um, a Rowan journalist, um, along with many other designers for a book. And we were asked what our inspiration was. And I came up with, well, it's all the little things in life that inspire me. Um, like, you know, just something I might see on a bookshelf and the colours and it's arranged very nicely or whatever. And when I read it, when the book came out and I read it, everybody else had very sort of grand and big um, ideas for inspiration. And I thought, oh, gosh, it sounds awful. It sounds as if I'm not really inspired by anything at all. But, in fact, I mean, the world is 
it's a wonderful place and all people have to do really is open their eyes isn't it you know right. you have you have to teach yourself to see yeah, you just have to be yeah. open, open. To yeah, that, you know, yeah. and because um, when people say, "Oh, you know," I'm, I mean, and we all go through periods where you you might feel like you're not, you're just kind of stuck at times, and you know, yeah. you can't just turn on inspiration. So if you're just not feeling it on a day, it's hard sometimes to generate. Yeah, you know? it's like writer's block. Yeah, it's you sometimes know, it difficult. comes and it goes. Yeah, yeah, but I think for the most part, is once you're, you know, you train yourself to look everywhere for inspiration, it almost becomes like distracting and it also becomes almost sometimes I feel like you know I I was teaching a class at a local college and uh, in journalism and I'd sometimes just be nearly late for my own class because I would get there in plenty of time but the school has wonderful artwork up on the walls and so I would be stopping and looking and looking at the colors together and and I'd forget like why I was at the school you know and so sometimes it becomes completely distracting when you're so used to soaking up and you enjoy it so much soaking up color and pattern and 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 that everywhere you go or a you know a drain or a a sewer cover on the street could be very fascinating you know it's you know it's it's one of those things where it almost becomes like this thing that you know getting moving a block down the road can be, yeah. um, you know, moving so, from A to B. Yeah. So yeah, I sometimes, really I sometimes have to just be like, okay, focus, Jennifer, you know, we're trying yeah. to get there on time, you know? So yeah. it's, um, but it is, I mean, it's, it's such a fun thing. And, and I love talking to designers about what inspires um, them. And I can't wait to see what you do next. What can we expect next? It sounds like more music uh, and probably more <laughs> knitting patterns, but what, it, do you have a project underway or is there anything we should look um, for? Well, I, I'm in negotiation with um, Taunton Press for a follow-up book to Sweet Cholette's. Oh, awesome. um, I, I can't say a lot about it at the moment, except that I think it's going to be um, developing one aspect of Sweet Cholette's, which I can't, I can't say which aspect, but okay. it, it's one aspect of Sweet Cholette's um, and uh, developing it into small projects. Okay, so more small projects then. So that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Well, that'll be exciting to look for that. That's my, my New Year's project. Excellent, excellent. Well, I don't know if there's anything that I didn't ask you that you want people to know about you or your work. I, I don't think so. I can't think of anything. It's been so delightful to talk to you. Yes, it's well, thank been you. It's lovely. I, it's been, uh, I, I appreciate, again, the short notice. I mean, that was really wonderful of you to make time for me today. Yeah, we're going to have a, a family um sunday lunch now <laughs> yes so i will let you i will let got you the family coming <laughs> i will let you get to that i believe that i was given the opportunity to give away a copy of of your book yes, yes. now when i do that i always ask people some kind of question what would you like me to ask the listeners to respond to in order to get in the drawing to receive a copy of your book because we'll give away one copy but what would you like people to comment on what are you curious about what do you want to know from the listeners oh i would like to know what their favorite technique is, what okay. they like to knit, whether it's cables, intarsia, uh, fair isle, shadow knitting, uh, plain knitting, which stitch pattern is their favorite, or, you know, what they like to knit. Okay, perfect. I'd be very, very interested. Yes, well, I will ask them that, and then I will refer people to your website and direct them all to go out and get a copy of Sweet Charlotte's. Thank you so much, Jean, and uh, okay, well, all the best so to much. you. And thanks for um, hosting a blog spot. It's been absolutely delightful to talk to you. A special thanks to Jean for agreeing to a very short notice interview. I decided late in the game that I'm like, you know what? Instead of doing a Q&A for her blog tour, I was just 
wanted to do an interview instead because I, I think nothing really substitutes ever from hearing a person tell their story in their own words. I don't know about you, but I liked hearing about that whole Ralph Lauren adventure from Jean in her own words, and I'm glad you got to do that too. So thank you, Jean, and congrats on your latest book. Keep us posted on what you do next. And all of you at home, I would like to give you a chance to win a copy of Jean's book. And I know when we talked about it, she, um, I asked her what she wanted me to ask you. And if you head over to craftsanity.com, leave a comment below the write-up about this podcast, right below episode 128. Just leave a comment about what your favorite stitch is in knitting. What do you really like to do? Maybe it can be something also that you haven't tried but you want to try. Just uh, tell us about your favorite stitch or technique. And if you haven't gone beyond knitting and purling and you want to adventure further out from that, what do you want to try? The experienced folks, tell us your favorite technique. And those of you who are just getting started, tell us what you want to learn. And any other thoughts you have, I will do a drawing. Let's see, we're going to give you a week to enter the contest. So there'll be plenty of time. I'm posting this on January 9th, 2012. And the deadline is going to be January 15th at midnight. And then I'll just announce a winner on Monday, January 16th. So good luck, everyone. And happy knitting. Again, want to remind you that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Craft Sanity Magazine. Yeah, it does seem a little bit weird for me to sponsor my own podcast, but um, I didn't have a sponsor, and I wanted to go ahead with a show at the last minute. So I'm just kind of plowing ahead. I think if you just get some momentum going and some traction, I'm hopeful that good things will come my way. I love doing this show, so I'm going to try to do it as long as I can. And uh, so if you want to head over to craftsanity.com, you'll find some links to Jean's blog and her website and also uh, you can find out more about her book and see some photos from inside of it. So there's some really cool designs here. And I am not going to do an after show because I am very pressed for time. I'm working on issue six of the magazine, and I have a lot of work to do on that. So I can't really ramble on and on. We're going to let Jean play us out with a sample of her music. I mean, I think this is wonderful. You're going to hear more yarn will do the trick. And... We hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to enter the contest to win Jean's book. You can find out the latest of what's going on with me. You know, if those of you, anyone who's feeling deprived that there's no after show, I've been blogging a lot at craftsanity.com. So you can head over there. And if any of you have ideas for the spring issue of the magazine for spring or summer, I'm looking for new contributors. So feel free to get in touch. Jennifer at craftsanity.com. See, I'm almost doing an after show. I have to pull myself back. I got to stop. <laughs> I'm really going to let you go. Okay, so let's get on to that music. More Yarn Will Do the Trick. And this is Jean Moss, a sampling of her musical talents. So I hope you enjoy it. I'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Cast up your cares and woes. Set your needles free. Ourselves a yarn, that we've got stacks of cash to fill a gigantic barn with an ever increasing stash. Visit a local yarn store for its therapy if you say, and what base your rings and doctors when more 
What, babe? 